Something's pinging at your end. Something's pinging at your end? Nothing's pinging at my end. Let me have it's a look. It might be in more interesting than thou. <laughs> Even the dullest ping is more interesting than me. Uh, <clears throat> is the Terminator sending me horny emails that have appeared in his inbox? <laughs> Apparently a straight married man who's very quick and horny has sent him an email and he's all excited about it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> quick and horny, just what you want. Quick and horny, and that I think describes all of our listeners. So welcome to everybody <laughs> joining us on this You Didn't Let Me Finish podcast. I have Hello, no you idea Randy what episode bunch. this is. Is this episode 58? Is it 60? Is it 72? I haven't the foggiest idea. Episodes over a year now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello, when, old when it's chums. Over, <laughs> it's a bit like newlyweds. After a year of being married, you can no longer call yourself newlyweds. I think after a year of podcasting, you just give up counting and you just sort of like sigh and sort of resign yourself to the sort of like a bi-weekly podcast event. We've done that right from the beginning. We've behaved like oldly weds right from the beginning. <laughs> How's your bi-weekly been? My bi-weekly has been fine. I was about I was just about to introduce We're myself. We're really bad. Oh, so sorry. We're really bad at um I'm going to introduce myself. You introduce yourself, then you ask me about my I'm Ben Ando. I'm a former BBC News <laughs> correspondent, and now I'm doing a bit of podcasting, and I run a little business, and I've got a few other irons in the fire. Who are you? <laughs> Everyone's shouting at their radio now, Ben. I'm Victoria Mitzi. <laughs> I'm Randy. Matron, take them away! <laughs> Ready. <laughs> and I'm God. Plymouth Ho. So, well, I was going to be a countryside hoe in general. I'm um, a professional lady and oh, a journalist by trade. And also, I like to dabble in podcasting. I'm just copying you because it's vomit okay, worthy. So I, I, I can see that you've got a glass of wine. From what you've just been talking about, this must be your third or fourth glass. <laughs> Why? <laughs> No, you aren't slurring your words just yet. Uh, no. Did you see me fall off my chair? My perch? <laughs> rather nice. Oh, I know why it's rather nice. It's my choice. Bless you. <gasps> you see, I see you've still got COVID. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't managed to shake it off. Despite, despite two vaccinations and a, and, a, and a whole a whole packet of Lemsip, I still haven't managed to shake it off. <laughs> Does a whole packet of Lemsip make you fast and horny? (laughs) (laughs) Is Is that what it takes? Lemsip is an an anagram of Pemil. (laughs) Does it turn into Lemstrip? And you take too much, like, way running around the garden. Getting them off. <laughs> is that, no, I, is this uh, making you excited, Ben? I, th- I tell you what really gets me going, and that's a packet of lockets. And the great <laughs> thing is, is, despite the fact that when I was a child, I was always told that they were medicine and I mustn't eat them like sweets. Now I'm an adult, I buy a whole pack and I just eat them like sweets. The world of ben. This is Ben's world. <laughs> 
So what would really get you going is a whole load of lockets and... How about if I, if, how about <laughs> if I made a lemsit and I stirred in a couple of lockets to it, allowed them to dissolve in the lemsit? What would that do to you? You'd be I like a munchkin think. on speed. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, have we said who we are. What what are we doing here? We're doing a true crime ish podcast. Yeah, but well, I mean that's and that's the big question because this week I think the topic is something that is close to both of our hearts. It's it's criney potentially, we, and we can't say it's definitely crime because I don't think that's been decided yet. But Victoria, why don't you tell everyone what we're going to be talking about? We've decided to make this podcast number fifty something or other. A bash ear bash. So don't and bash the bash. How many how many bashing japes can we get out of this? Um, <laughs> about the Princess Diana interview mainly, but a few other elements creep into Martin Bashir and how he chose to conduct himself in a journalistic capacity. And we want to cover what exactly happened in that case, but also in relevant to last week's podcast, Babes in the Wood, and what's happening currently in an apologie being issued. <laughs> yeah, quite. So, um, I mean, my, I think you know, everybody will know that the, the big story that's engulfed the BBC in the last few uh, days and weeks is that the inquiry into um, how it landed what was, I suppose, in the, back in the sort of mid-1990s, considered to be the scoop interview of the century, which was a sit-down interview with Princess Diana, at which she famously said there were three people in her marriage, her, Prince Charles, her husband, and Camilla Parker Bowles, his long-term, long-time mistress. And, I mean, that interview was... Um, it was huge at the time. It went around the world, and it was a massive, massive coup for the, uh, coup for the BBC. It was a massive, massive coup for Panorama, the programme that aired it, and it was a massive, massive coup for the journalist involved, Martin Bashir. But what wasn't known at the time, except by a very small number of people, was that the way Bashir had got the princess to do the interview was going through her brother, Earl Spencer, and he had shown Earl Spencer fake bank statements suggesting that um, people close to the princess were being paid by News International newspapers, who were the owners then of the Sun, and at that time, the News of the World, the now defunct News of the World. And because she was paranoid, she was um, clearly somebody who at that time was in a, in a pretty dark place, and she was vulnerable. And so her brother, I, I understand, convinced her to talk to Martin Bashir, and the interview happened. But of course, those those statements, those bank statements, were faked. They had been mocked up by a graphic designer at the BBC, and the graphic designer had no idea why he was being asked to mock up these statements. He just who was landed was right in the ship. Him. Yeah, he was told he was a freelancer. He was told to do it by Martin Bashir, so he did it and signed it off, and they were printed out, and that was that. And, yeah. and, you know, Martin Bashir designs. comes to you and says, fake some of that. You don't say, well, no, no. You don't say, oi, Bashir, no. Um, Bog well, you off. Do, you say, yeah, sure. Bog off, Bashir. <laughs> Bash <laughs> off, Boggy. <laughs> <laughs> you might try. You'd be out on your ear, Bashir. You don't tell, you don't tell Bashir to swing his hook. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't anyway, by the sounds of things. 
quite. Yeah, so the BBC made an unconditional apology. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll get, we'll get to that. But I mean, let's talk, I mean, let's take it in steps. So first of all, you know, is it unusual for fake bank statements to be created by a graphic designer at the BBC? No. I mean, graphic designers at the BBC might be creating fake bank statements for a drama programme or for um, something in the news that's just trying to illustrate something. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why they Doctor might be Doctor Who? So the, the designer him, Doctor Who, exactly. Yeah, Doctor Who, thank you for that. I got my finger um, on the pulse here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what was it? William Hartnell was Doctor Who when you were a girl. Oh, bash <laughs> off no, you! Was it? Was it Peter Davidson? I didn't. I didn't really watch. Tom it. I was Baker. too scared of the Daleks. Exterminate! <laughs> Still <Anyway>. am. <laughs> my my eldest daughter is terrified of the Cybermen. Which was the Cybermen? They're the big metal men who sort of boom, 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 they stamp around. I waited for you. Oh, I'll have daughter. to look them up. They sound terrifying. The whole thing was terrifying. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. so so the graphic designer um, is uh, a guy called Matt Weisler, and he was a freelance graphic designer, and he was approached by Martin Bashir. He, he stunts these um, fake bank statements, thinks nothing of it, and that's that. It was only later when he realised how they had come to be used, that he went to management of the BBC and effectively blew the whistle and said, I'm not comfortable about this, this shouldn't have happened, this is wrong. And of course, in the traditional uh, BBC way of dealing with these things, instead of dealing with the problem, they kind of got rid of the whistleblower. He was, because he was a freelancer, he was basically frozen out, there was just no more shifts. And he wasn't like he was bad at his job, he was obviously very good at faking bank statements, because they, they convinced everybody. But, I know, um, he's he made was... my driving licence, he's done quite a few <laughs> other odd jobs. <laughs> has he, has he, oh, he's made you a driver, so you can actually get served in pubs now. That's nice. <laughs> I was going to make the same joke about you. Because because I'm sure that what happens every time you go up there is, oh no, you're never old enough. <laughs> didn't, he, didn't he forge your pension documents to, to get you into the over 55 housing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he, he, he will have forged my NHS document um, authorising emergency pile surgery. <laughs> spat out my you, can, you can spray that again. <laughs> dribbling. You and your piles and me and my dribbling. And piles. Can I just say I don't actually have piles? It was a joke. But, uh... Well, try having a baby. Then you will. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you want Is to try having a baby? I don't want to try having a baby. I don't want to get into a void <laughs> rage. I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over the front page. Admits he's having a roid rage. <laughs> <laughs> don't you poke bum fun at me. <laughs> Any, anyway, that so... That sounds very wrong indeed. That sounds more wrong than I was trying to make it sound. <laughs> and you were trying to make it sound fairly wrong. Feel free to edit it out. Um, so, Matt, Martin yeah. Bashir has... So there is an inquiry. So, okay, so the BBC freezes out uh, uh, Matt Whistler, but they have an inquiry. The inquiry is led by Lord Ball, who is who, who went on to become the Director General of the BBC. And this is actually moving on now to the most damaging thing. The 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 inquiry is clearly a complete joke. I mean, the the investigation you know the, the investigation that we've recently had said it was just pathetic and didn't do anything, and it cleared Martin Bashir because it found him very believable when he said he didn't do anything wrong. And the, Plus, the, everyone the liked thing that's him. Really, uh, well, maybe. 
But the thing that's really stung the BBC here is that Martin Bashir then left the BBC a few years later, covered in glory because of this great Diana interview, and he went to join, I think, CBS in the United States, or one of the US networks, I think it was CBS, and he works there for a while. And you'd think, okay, the BBC would think, phew, we dodged the bullet there, that's fine. You know, what happens though, in 2016, Martin returns to the BBC, Tony Hall by now is the Director General, and Tony Hall, who knows, you know, as so to speak, where the bodies are buried, instead of um, saying, oh Christ, we need a religious affairs correspondent, but let's not hire Martin Bashir again, who knows what he's going to try and forge God's bank statements this time, um, they give him a job. And I think that's the thing that for people who've worked at the BBC like me, that's the thing that's most galling, because I don't recall there being any kind of a free and open interview process for that job. It was just a job that was created and Martin Bashir was parachuted into it. And, and that's the thing that really sticks. <laughs> that's really <Is> funny. Has <laughs> he really parachuted Martin. in? <laughs> yeah. pull, pull the bit called Martin. Pull the bit called the way down. <laughs> he landed oh, on the wrong like a lump of strawberry jam. <laughs> he just landed on an aerial rather uncomfortably. <laughs> yeah, but you're absolutely right. It is galling. That's the right word. <laughs> Isn't it? It's anyway, like... so... So you going for, Bashir, what did you say, Ben? What did you say? Oh, and there are the rest of us sitting in these boards, like trying our best with story ideas. Yeah, and there he, in yeah. he comes, parachute intact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, all the rest of us at the BBC, we go through this board. It's a, it's a job interview. For, the, for some reason, the BBC calls them boards. And, you know, and you always fuck them up. Whatever you do, you always fuck them up. You usually, even if you get the job, and I have got a couple of jobs, you used to come out of the board thinking, oh, I really fucked that up. But then somehow you probably fucked it up slightly less than everybody else fucked it up. Um, they I mean, are fucking weird experiences. The other thing is that I think most BBC staff have a fairly cynical view of them and tend to believe that nine times out of ten, the board of people have decided in advance who they're probably going to appoint. And in fact, the only the person being interviewed has to really, really, really screw up not to be appointed if they're the person who is kind of the anointed one. It's the first thing I you mean, have to find out who you're up against. I mean, let me give you an example. So I worked for a job um, about a year or so before I left the BBC. It was the last job I actually went for before I decided to um, take... In the canteen? <laughs> it was, the board wasn't in the canteen. I can't remember. The board was in, was, was in one of those sort of stupidly named rooms like um, Tom Baker or, you know... Um, I don't know. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Morecambe and Wise or something. You know, where <laughs> Laurel they, they and Hardy. These, these, they named the rooms <laughs> after famous BBC people. And um, so I went in there and, it, and I, I really thought that I was going to get the job because I knew the subject. I was interested. I really researched it. Every single question I had an answer for. I, I genuinely felt they hadn't caught me out at all. And I thought, wow, if that's not a, a job getting bored, I don't know what it is. Anyway. I got a phone call the next day saying, sorry, Ben, you weren't successful on this occasion. I said, okay, well, can you give me some feedback? And the feedback I got was, well, yes, we thought that your answers were too detailed. Oh, and no. That, yeah. that was like somebody who may well be listening to this um, who got told they'd over-prepared. Exactly, yeah. So, so I think on. that so, just about okay, summarises so, it. Yeah, so that, at that point, I realised that there was no way I was going to get the job. They were going to give the job to the person who did get the job, come what may, and that's that. And of course, that's what happened. But hey, never mind. These but who's are... bitter? I'm completely bitter about it. I'm well. I'm not really bitter because I'm, I'm doing. I'm really happy in my life now. But at the time, I'm I was, just not going to mention 
interviewing for your own job i'm, I'm just not going to mention that because i'm not bitter <laughs> no, at all yeah quite <laughs> but anyway but the point is so when people like martin bashir comes in yeah i've got to say that causes a problem because not only does it look bad from outside the bbc but there are lots of really hard working good people in the bbc who are going to be thinking well you know yeah this guy comes in he's trashed the name of the organization we work for as well as outside the bbc looking terrible there'll be lots of people inside the bbc who are pretty fed up with how this has all been handled this is true So, what you haven't mentioned at all is the way that it presented Di uh, Diana's role in it, really, because she was it was it was instrumental in, I think, starting this wave of anti-monarchy. Could you say in the in the media? Yeah, possibly. I mean, let's not forget that already that uh, either that year or the year before, Prince Charles had given an interview to um, one of the Dimblebees, uh, in which he'd been fairly frank. It had been reasonably clear that he wasn't exactly massively enamoured with his Didn't wife. it cover tampon so gate? Uh, squidgy gate. I don't know. Um... <laughs> she was squidgy gate. He was tampon. <laughs> I'd really like to be, I'd really love to be a tampon up there. <laughs> that that is so awkward isn't it i mean goodness me that's that is super cringe mind you at least you wouldn't lose him with those ears <laughs> that's true very you know, good he's, point he's, he's kind of the right shape isn't he let's face it you know you, is that you, who you, prince charles reminds you of a ginormous sanitary doll with wings he's got wings that could be useful so, so, I mean, it was obvious, yeah. I think it was obvious to the world at large that the Wales's marriage was in trouble. And I think the narrative that, that Princess Diana, you know, was some kind of shrinking violet at the centre of all this is a little bit um, disingenuous. I mean, she was very, very, but I mean, by this time, she had become, uh, you know, we're, we're talking, she is 15 years into the her people's princess. Well, yes, she wanted to become the people's princess, and that was what she came up with in the interview. But 15 years into their marriage, she had become quite media savvy. She had been very, become very adept at letting certain um, media know what she was doing and also very adept at um, letting herself be photographed in such a way that it, it gave the narrative that she wanted. I mean, I think there was a very famous visit to the Taj Mahal that she made where she was sat on her own in front of it. And it was this massive sort of front page photo, which was a stunning photograph. And it literally said, look here, I am on my own, you know, um, and, and she was very good at that. And little things like, you know, when she went dancing with John Travolta. But she was, she wasn't stupid at all. And I don't think, it, I think it does her a disservice to suggest that she was some kind of, you know, hapless victim at the centre of all this. And I think it's also fairly clear that she was planning to give an interview. The question was not whether she was going to give an interview at all. The question is, who did she give the interview to? And the reason she gave the interview to Martin Bashir is because he faked these bank statements. And that's that's the damaging part of the allegation. Well, we must also remember that it's not only the, the points that were admitted in this interview and why it was such a sort of heavy weight, groundbreaking interview, was, was having an affair, admitting having yeah. an affair, 
um, said that Prince Charles had had an affair with Camilla Parker Bowles and that it made her feel worthless. Also, that there'd been a huge cover-up. So it suggested that there was sort of foul play on the part of the royal family. Of course, three of us, three in a bed. I mean, I don't don't necessarily Mm. have a huge amount of sympathy with the idea of there being a cover-up. I mean, at the end of the day, pretty much any couple who are going through difficulties like that probably don't want to exactly blurt it around the world, do they? So they try and keep it as private as they can. And mm. sometimes that can be just to avoid the children being damaged. Yes, of course. But I think what happened to allow this affair to continue, Charles's affair with Camilla Parker Bowles, was that the royal family turned a blind eye and just allowed it to continue. So I think it's it's at the point where the paths split uh, between people supporting Diana and believing that the royal family was sort of a, some kind of negative element... Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I mean, um, uh, which is continuing till today, really. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think, I think that, I think you know, the public is nuanced enough to understand that there are good and bad royals. I think most people think that uh, the Queen has done a pretty good job. I mean, despite her anus horribleness that year. Um, I think. Pull we back to that people... point. <laughs> <laughs> She's in the piles <laughs> <Yes>. club. <laughs> During the club. Um, I I think that uh, most people probably think that, you know, Prince William, broadly speaking, is an okay role. I think most people quite like Kate Middleton. I think that she's handled her kind of... Kate Middy. Introduction, Kate Middy. Her sort of like introduction into the royal family, she's handled it pretty well and pretty with a degree of class. Um, She is a very classy lady. I don't think most people have got a huge amount of affection for Prince Andrew despite his rather feeble attempts to rehabilitate himself at his father's funeral recently, or his grand, his father's funeral, um, I don't think a lot of people have got a lot of, a huge amount of time for Prince Charles. Although, funnily enough, I think, you know, Prince Charles and, and Camilla Parker Bowles now together, I think are quite popular. I think most people, you know, you know Princess of Wales' death is a long time ago. And of course, you know, she is an important figure in history and she is still the mother of the future monarch. But I think Camilla Parker Bowles and Prince Charles have kind of weathered the storm and most people kind of just think, well, just let them have their life now. You know, it's a shame it couldn't be, you know, she she was obviously the right woman for him. It's a shame they couldn't be together right from the start, but that was that was then, that was in the early 70s when such things weren't allowed. And this is now, hopefully. But thank God for Diana. I mean, she did, for me, she just brought a whole load of colour into the room. She sort of made me notice the royal family. You know, it, it yeah. became, you know, she was she was a very clever woman. And I think there's no doubt that she had her her sort of downside. Um, but that's why the Brits love her. They love a bit of grit. Yeah. Oh, no. Gritty I mean, I think Brits. Diana was wonderful. I mean, Diana, I, I, when I was um, a, a reporter at um, in local radio, actually, I remember covering a few royal visits where Charles and Diana would turn up, and she was just spectacular. I mean, she was she had, you know, she had charisma in the bucket loads. She was just amazing, and people just loved her. And it was really, really wonderful to see how good she was at interacting with people. I think she did an enormous, enormous amount for the royal family. How close did you era. get, Ben? Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, we we were we were we were probably we probably still satisfied current social distancing regulations. I don't think I was nearer the meter. I mean, I didn't put my hand on her ass. Or anything. That would be a case of laissez majesté, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they'd, they'd be Grope a royal protection majesté. officer. 
there'd, there'd be a royal protection officer on my back straight away. Get your hand off the princess's ass. I don't know. It I seems did. to be a bit of a grope for all with those two. It is, it is. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it just seems to be that everywhere at that time in her life, everybody was groping her ass. Yeah, she got. She went from sort of virgin princess to. She went to. Oh no! Hang on. Let me finish the pun. She went from virgin princess to virgin on the randy lady. Right. I think. I think she certainly got randy. I think she got randy. She had. I mean, how many? She liked a captain. There was that. She, 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 yes, there was, um, and a private the, the one, protection person, was, Hewitt. There was the ginger captain, James Hewitt, that's right. There was, um, I think one of her, her cops, um, got his nuts wet. And yeah, but I she was just that, so randy in public as well, apparently. She was frisky, frisky I love her. Frisky. And, um, <laughs> sounds like a greeting she, in Welsh. We've got to say that one for she, David. Didn't she Welsh friend. with, um, um, a heart surgeon from? Uh, one of the from Chelsea Westminster afterwards. Um, Did she? And uh, I think so. Yeah. You know you'd we be in safe my, hands with actually, a ha- heart surgeon, wouldn't you? You would be. Yeah. Don't break my heart. It's all right. I'm a heart surgeon. But, uh, <laughs> here we go. Hasnat Khan, British Pakistani. He is widely known for his romantic relationship with Diana, Princess of Wales. Oh, okay. Khan had a two-year. Oh, she described him as Mr. Wonderful. According to Diana's butler, Paul Burrell, who in his book, Diana, the Royal Truth, described Khan as her true soulmate, the princess ended the relationship in June 1997. They've described him as the love of her life. He is very reticent about speaking to her. I didn't <laughs> he know about that one. He, he told police in 2004 that he doubted she had been pregnant when she died because she always took her contraceptive pills. Oh, he made sure of that. <laughs> right. Enough of that. Look at you. You're now you're now looking at the Daily Mail he, website, and we all know what happens when you go on the Daily on, Mail so website. He was born in 1950. No, I'm not. I'm actually on Wikipedia. I haven't been lured into the sidebar of shame. I'm just quite interested <laughs> in this. And, <laughs> that no, I'll, I'll tell you later. Oh, you're such a romantic. You love all that. Um, right. I want to make a serious segue into linking the yes topic that we're on into the babes in the woods crime which we well, spoke about a, paul cheston last week yeah last by week uh, we just need to talk about the we just need to talk about the diana apology oh what would i do without you producing me i'm not producing anybody <laughs> i'm producing a crock of shit okay do tell and so well, so the latest in this story is that very very recently um the actual whistleblower the guy we were talking about earlier the graphic designer who was basically left out in the lurch by the BBC. Um, he said that he was contacted by the Director General, Tim Davey. They had a meeting and the, the Director General repeatedly made multiple unreserved apologies in this meeting uh, that took place. And they'd also discussed compensation, um, although Mr. Weasler, uh, Matt Weasler says this is confidential. So 26 years after the interview, you get this guy has finally got an in-person apology from the Director General of the BBC. So I suppose, in some ways, finally you get something. I also I did actually notice that one of the princes, I think, I think it was Harry, made a statement where which I thought was quite gracious of him actually, where he said, look, he said it was you know clearly very upsetting and it was wrong and all the rest of it, but he did he did actually give the BBC some credit for actually taking responsibility. Acknowledging it, not you it know, was Will's. Time to double down. 
Was it? Okay, fair enough. Well, in any event. I think so. Um, Love wills, by the way. Where there's a will, there's a way. Okay, good. That's um, not willies. I'm not saying I love willies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Whoa. using. I'm just using this you... podcast as a vehicle to proclaim <laughs> my love of willies because I've had half a glass of wine. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I just went. I love wills. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I'm sure you'd love the Prince of Denmark, <laughs> Prince Schlong. Is he called Prince Schlong? No, I just made that up. It'd be funny if he was. Oh, there's yeah. a, I'm sure there's a prince in Germany called Prince Cock. There's, the probably, Prince a, there's, Cock. Probably, there's probably a prince in Germany called Prince Fuchs. <laughs> probably, or one called mm, Prince, and, prince and Frankenfurten. Prince and Frankenfurten. Prince and Frankenschlongen. Prince and Wiener. Ah, <laughs> oh, welcome, Prince Vina, <laughs> and your wife, Princess Bajin. <laughs> Prince Vina von Schlong. Prince, ah, oh. <laughs> introducing their royal highnesses, the Prince and Princess Vina von Schlong. <laughs> you just <laughs> <laughs> his massive Schlong tied to his leg. With a schlong, Ambassador, to, you are to, spoiling us. <laughs> try, trying not to strip over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not able. The, how come we're suddenly at the Ambassador's reception with a <laughs> tray of Ferrero Rocher? That's where my head always <laughs> takes me. At the end of my fantasy. <laughs> Your internal monologue always changes where you are. It takes you In to a world where there reception. are no hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, a, to a tray of Ferrero Rocher. You can eat as many as you want without putting on a pound. Yes, no one goes, Ben, lay off the lockets. They don't. Well, my auntie used to. She said I couldn't eat them because they're not sweets. See? I can. Your shame is audible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, want I want to go on to. I want to. I want to say a name that we spoke. A lady that we spoke about last week, Michelle Hadaway, who I just want to link the Babes in the Wood inquiry to what we've been speaking about about Martin Bashir. That's the mother of one of the victims um, who wants a, an inquiry into her. All items of her daughter's clothing having been given to Martin Bashir and him having lost them. And she presumed they were going for DNA testing in 1991 and no tests were done and the clothes weren't returned, which I just think is absolutely hideous. I mean, you can't you can't really fathom that, can you? Because in, in good faith, that family gave those clothes for, you know, desperate to know about their daughter. I mean, I, I, actually, I, I don't really understand how that happened because... I mean, you know, there is, first of all, these are, this is evidential stuff. So, you know, if it's going to have any work at all, if the DNA tests are going to have any work at all, first of all, they have to be controlled. I mean, which means that nobody can actually handle them. They have to be in a Good sealed point. bag. Mm. I find that impossible, well, not impossible to believe. I find it impossible to understand how, first of all, Martin Bashir would think that by taking them, he could achieve anything whatsoever. And secondly, by how he thinks that if he goes and has an independent DNA test done, unless he actually is able to sort of verify that no kind of extraneous contact has been made with this clothing at all, then it's going to be worthless anyway. And I see what, your and, point, and, but you know, I do think, 
you know, if you're if you're somebody who doesn't know about such stuff and you're desperate, grief stricken and, you know, you see an authority, a figure of authority as Martin Bashir was regarded at the time saying that he could help you wouldn't you give them over i'm not not for a second um in any way criticizing um uh, michelle hadaway for handing the clothing over i can totally understand where she was coming from i'm talking about you know this is the bashir bashing that we're doing here yeah and then to respond with a comment saying i can't remember i think that's sort of you know yeah it's outrageous it's outrageous and thoroughly underhand and wrong yes Um, yeah completely and on top of it, David Mitchell has launched himself into the fracas, calling Martin Bashir an unwitting executioner of the BBC. And he ranted against the corporation's tabloid tactics um, during a rant on Have I Got News For You? The BBC, it's a BBC programme, isn't it? Yeah. Have I Got News For That's You? The point. Yeah. British comedian David Mitchell claimed former BBC journalist Martin Bashir may have become the organisation's unwitting executioner, and on a recent episode of the comedy show, Mitchell, who you might know from Peep Show, took aim at the Conservative Party Bashir and the BBC in one hit. And how did he do that? I hear you cry. After the show's panellists discussed the recent controversy surrounding Bashir, who was found to have falsified bank statements, we've just been talking about it, Mitchell went on, actually, I wonder if I should just intro the clip. Let's listen to the clip. The thing that makes people love the BBC is not the ruddy news. <laughs> the news is a boring programme. We all know it. And in their desperate attempts to make the news watchable, they've stooped to tabloid tactics, and that is going to destroy a corporation that is loved for the drama and comedy and documentaries it's produced for decades. And the Tories will cheerfully get rid of that and use this bullshit as an excuse. And Martin Bashir may have unwittingly been the executioner of the BBC. Yes. The comedian received applause from the audience as well as from some of his fellow panellists and was also cheered on social media by those who agreed. So there you go. A lot of people are jumping on the BBC for a good bash as well as Bashir. So, so David Mitchell tweeted, thanks so much for all the nice messages about what I said on last night's hashtag H-I-G-N-F-Y. I'm so glad it struck a chord. And so I replied, very well said, and certainly true for UK population. But there are places where people huddle around often illegal AM radios and love the BBC precisely because of the news. And this is what we shouldn't lose sight of. Yes, you know, there are issues and there are people love to knock the BBC and so on and so forth. But there are lots of places where they don't have a free press, they don't have a free media. And the BBC, for all its faults, is probably because it has worldwide reach, because, you know, over the years, the British government and the BBC together through the World Service have thought to reach every corner of the globe. Because of that, there are, you know, people do get something that approximates or approaches independent, um, you know, information into their regimes that normally they wouldn't be allowed to get. And for that reason, the BBC does have a vital role to play around the world. And it's all very well sort of being snippy about BBC News becoming more tabloid, which I might think it probably has. I think it should step back from that a bit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. But we shouldn't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You seem to have gone really quiet during that. <clears throat> I don't know why. I haven't touched any of my settings or anything. Oh, I'm here. No, you haven't added to settings touch for a while. <laughs> oh, you! Oh, oh, oh. 
<laughs> hey. Anyway, we've got we've got birthday. We've got a special lady to congratulate who will have had her born day by the time this is issued. By the time we cool. climax. <laughs> sorry, glamorous Tell- news lady. Yay. Sorry, sorry to associate our climise <laughs> with your oh, birthday. That is naughty. <laughs> Do you want to see what I have for dinner? Oh, happy Are birthday, bring it back? glamorous news lady. Yeah, happy that's, birthday, that's glamorous heartfelt. news lady. Can, can we say her on. name or not? No. Would you like to come on our podcast? <laughs> oh, <gasps> there's Ben's Dindins to celebrate your birthday. Are those Brussels sprouts? They are a bit blurry. They are. are they? I love oh, Brussels sprouts. What's the what's the uh, white blob? Okay, so those green blobs of Brussels sprouts, that hmm. white blob is grilled salmon on a bed of garlic. Uh, I spinach. also had grilled and, salmon. And those red blobs there, I tell you what, why don't I just text you this? Are they beetroot? They're sweet and peppery, fiery beetroot. That's, oh, where do you get sweet, peppery, fiery beetroot from? Tesco. <laughs> Testicle. I had salmone. Oh, and I shall be going to the G7 summit in a minmon to attend all the ministers. And uh, I'll be. (laughs) Well, by the time my Abai session commences again. Oh, it's most disconcerting. You tend to think it's taking half an hour to send a text. I've sent sent it. I've sent an email, not a text. I couldn't send it by text. Oh, bugger. Um, and there was oh. other things. Yes, you can buy us a coffee. <laughs> no, don't start that. I don't want a coffee. You can <laughs> no, buy, I was gonna buy you a coffee. Well, You're not going to see any of it. Me. I'm going to have it. No, I don't want any. I want a coffee. <laughs> I, want coffee. <laughs> I think some of you fucking you... owe me a coffee by now. <laughs> <laughs> you can buy a me a coffee, Ben. Do you want to know how to buy me a coffee, Ben? Okay, tell me how to buy you a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> buy me a coffee. Dot com forward slash ydlmf and if you'd like to you could extend to a sticky bun <laughs> don't get into a sticky situation on your sticky bun what are you do i don't mind do you, eat, do you like, I do like a bun? sticky bun my dad used to who was builder used to take us after after he picked us up in his builder shorts from school to a like crappy old bakers and buy us a sticky finger and we loved it dad of the year (laughs) well that's where i get my finesse from my refined taste (laughs) a sticky finger for all his girls (laughs) no the eldest wasn't there she was sticky fingering it elsewhere (laughs) she wasn't getting any sticky fingers well she might have been from some elsewhere she had to go and get her own by that point what else news? Did you want to know what you didn't care what I had for dinner? Go on, tell me what you had for dinner. Have you seen my dinner yet? Salmone. The same. Yeah, I know. I, I actually said to you, how, how, what was your salmone? But you ignored it. Well, it was with baked beans. Ooh, you're losing me already. I know, it was a bit weird. But you don't have to have black plates just to keep everyone happy, you know. And I do live with a four-year-old. <laughs> uh, what else did I have with it? Oh, some really nice, like, peppery fries. They were quite nice. Not nice. many that of them. Nice. Yeah, it was a bit Weight Watchers like yours is. Mine was, yeah, mine is a fasting meal. Uh, is it Chub Club? <laughs> no, it's just it's just a, a recipe that we found, but it just works really well. It looks really nice. Did it satisfy you? It did. It was really lovely, actually. Really tasty. Okay, because really um, we ended up, up eating, me and 
my my daughter ended up eating cherry jam out of the pot after we finished that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, so keeping it classy. It's a bit sticky downstairs as well. <laughs> is that your is, is is that your equivalent of the sticky finger? I just wanted You're to leave her in. It's sticky downstairs. Make me feel a bit more wild. How can people reach us, Ben? By tweeting us at YUMF Podcast. If you mm. if you really 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 want to email us, you'll just have to go and find our email address on whatever podcast landing page we have. Or you understand. could get diverted and click on buy me a coffee. Oh, shut up. Don't call anybody any coffees. Keep your money for your own coffees. Everyone else is buy me a coffeeing. I've been dilly-dallying with it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you really want to buy a mix of coffee, buy her a coffee, but I don't need a coffee. Not a oh, no one's going to buy you a coffee or a locket or a lemsip. <laughs> Oh, you could buy me a, a packet of lockets. Buy the old bastard lemsip. Buy me a packet of lockets and I'll eat them all like sweets. <laughs> You'll find them in a coma like Elvis. <laughs> Elvis had a term. Elvis had a terminal event on the commode. Oh, he did. He, didn't he was he? so he was so constipated. He had a heart attack because he couldn't. Oh shift. no! Was it from being constipated? I think so. I, I think I, I, basically, I think my understanding is uh, it was three in the morning at Graceland. And Elvis was straining so hard to have a <gasps> shit that he had a heart attack. How do you think you're going to go? Hopefully not like that. Hopefully, I don't know, age 90, bare ass, humping someone's wife, shot in the back by the jealous husband. <laughs> no, you haven't know. thought that one out every night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to go. Furiously. How are you going to go? I'm sure I'm going to die on the toilet. <laughs> 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 the roids are going to get me. <laughs> the Daleks Death never did. You got terminal piles. <laughs> oh. I've got terminal terminal piles. With a face like Edvard Monk. <laughs> Scream. <laughs> on, on that beautiful visual analogy. Yeah. Should we go? Bye bye. Bye bye. Have a lovely bye, 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 bye. week, everyone. Bye.